Hey everybody, I'm Anna McEwen. And now for Bob Switzer with the epic narrative. All right, ladies and gentlemen, here we are. I uh, I titled this Sweet Eats and Meats because it's pretty much what we get, are, are going to get here. And and I, I have no idea how long this will actually last because I never know. You know what? It, sometimes, sometimes, I'm just not sure. Uh, <laughs> I'm just not sure. It seems like this is going to be a short one. Anyways. Time will tell. I have to tell you this, though. Personal story. Very, very, very personal. It's very personal. So if you're listening to this, know that I truly trust you to understand that this is personal. I am not a good speller. Now, um, we can blame it on a lot of things. But generally speaking, when I was in grade school, the emphasis on spelling had been dropped by the educational department. They they wanted you to know how to spell, but they weren't going to dock your papers, at least in my grade school. They weren't going to dock your papers if you had misspelled. So from specifically from like third through through eighth grade, I wrote papers. People, honestly, I got I got A's on content. They loved my stories. They loved my reports. Everything was wonderful. But I would bring home these papers, and there would be so many misspellings in red circles about where I missed punctuation. But I wasn't docked for that because I was being graded on, on content, not on how it was written. And honestly, this drove my dad nuts. So much so that he joined the school board to try and change the direction of the school. Didn't work, but... This is this is the reality. So I uh, I live with this. I live with this, and I'm so, I'm so old that that I grew up. Um, I, I grew up. Well, I, obviously I grew up, but during the time of my growing up, especially early on in my college career. Well, I guess it started in high school. Like there was a big rage amongst the churches for overhead projectors, and people would get these overhead projectors, and pastors would write on the overhead projectors and everybody at the in the congregation could see it and they'd write their references and they'd they'd write uh, you know their notes they'd put down you know point a and they'd write it out and then there was they they came up with all these accessories for overhead projectors there were frames there was um and then and then they figured out a way to print overhead so that pastors could pre-print their outline and could get it up on i mean there was all this stuff all this rage and i'm a I, i'm in high school watching this and I feel very much like I'm supposed to be in ministry. I, I I am just intuitively a pastor. I just I just knew I, I was called to ministry. I knew it. So I'm watching these guys having to write on overhead projectors, and I'm thinking, I can't. Like, you have to be able to spell. And I know I can't spell. I know I can't spell. Like, this is not a, a debatable point in my life. Fast forward... I'm I'm now in in college. Uh, I am learning training to be in the ministry, and I take I take a preaching course. And you're given over an overhead projector, and I am in a panic. I'm in a panic because I'm going to have to write 
on this overhead. And then I remember that, you know, you don't necessarily have to write. So I printed some things out and I came up, I made a bunch of copies on overheads of of comics. There was like, uh, I, I was a big fan of the Peanuts, which was Charlie Brown and Snoopy. And then I was also a big, big fan of what's called The Far Side uh, by this guy named Gary Larson. And I just, I had those. So I kind of fudged my way through preaching class without having to spell anything. But I was always in fear that somebody was going to eventually put an overhead projector next to me, at a, next to a pulpit, and expect me to write on it. It was honestly a, a legitimate fear. So during this time, freshman in Bible school, uh, wasn't a college, but uh, I meet my my wife, my future wife. Uh, I know, surprise, surprise, right? Bible college romance, but I can the the story behind us getting together is precious and beautiful, and literally would take me an hour. I'm not going to do all that, but just know this: when when we met and we started talking, and and we went through, you know, that early stages of. Uh, finally, finally, we became official, which at Bible College honestly doesn't take much. If, if you talk to a girl for one-on-one for like 15, 20 minutes, everybody just assumes you're, you're dating. So we start dating at this Bible College, and I am honestly inspired by her. By her. I, I can't contain the love I have for her. I have to express it in any form necessary. I'm I'm buying her chocolates. I'm telling her how beautiful. Like she couldn't. I noticed her eyeshadow. I noticed her eyebrows. I noticed her eyelashes. I noticed her perfume. I noticed her her uh, clothing. Every day I'd tell her how beautiful she loved uh, it looked and how certain colors accented things and, and on and on and on and go. And, well, and half the time she was borrowing her roommate's clothes and her roommates are standing there like I like thinking, I wore that yesterday, you didn't say anything. But I just honestly, head over heels. Still, I, I literally, I still am. I'm head over heels in love with this girl. There's just no way around it. But in my expressions, I'm getting to the point, Bob. I will get to the point. I know we're we're six minutes in. <laughs> Finish this story. <laughs> I will. This will this will make you laugh. I think. Anyways, in my expression of passion for her. Now we're in a Bible college, right? We're not allowed to touch each other at this particular. I told you I grew up super conservative. So we're not allowed to touch each other, which is why you were dating if you talked one on one for more than 15, 20 minutes, because you weren't allowed to be alone with each other either. So you'd talk one-on-one, but like at the, in the gym or in the in the snack bar, cafe, lunchroom, something like that. It was always a public place, but, but you know, you'd just talk just the two of you. You wouldn't talk to any of your friends. Well, then everybody knew. Well, clearly they're dating. So in my expression, one of my expressions was to write her poems. And I would write, Honestly, they're they're ridiculous poems. They're, they're you know, super simple, um, su- super silly, just gushy. G- just you can't get any more sappy than the way I was. I was just completely. I, I'm an incurable romantic. I just I just am, and I could do it anytime. I I I, I still like doing it, but the, here's the deal. I didn't know 
how to spell sweet. I spelled it sweat. And for months, I wrote, I, I would write poems to her daily and call her sweatheart. No, I said serious. I called her sweatheart for months. And she wouldn't tell me. She didn't tell me. She didn't tell me. She thought it was the cutest thing. Because clearly, I'm stupid, right? No, she doesn't think me being stupid is cute. But, but she knew that she knew what I meant, right? And but all this time, sweatheart, sweatheart, sweatheart. I don't know how I found out. I don't. I remember being crushed because for me, I felt stupid, which is something that. I struggle with. I, I just always have struggled with this. It's a lie that I'm stupid, but I believed the lie for years, and and I was still believing it at this time. And it still rears its ugly head. Here I am, 58. I still periodically do something or say something, and I think, God, Bob, you're just so stupid. But in all of that, when I finally found out, I don't know if she told finally told me or if one of her roommates was like. You know, you know, you call her sweetheart, right? Or do you know how to spell sweet? Or maybe I discovered it on my own. I forget. I really do forget. But I remember the 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 epiphany, the emotion of the epiphany of feeling so embarrassed, humiliated, stupid. I I wanted to crawl into a hole and never come out. I literally thought the relationship is over. Like she, why would she ever stay with somebody who could be that dumb for that long? It wasn't like a one-time mistake. We're talking dozens and dozens and dozens of goofy, sappy poems that I call her sweetheart. And you know what? I think she still has all of them because she thought that was so funny. Oh my gosh. Anyways, on to today's program. I titled this Sweet Eats and Meats, and this is what happened. When I wrote it down the first time, what do you think I spelled? I spelled sweat, and it wasn't until I was typing it into my computer to start the recording that I was like, S-W-E-E-T, wait, I didn't, I didn't do E-E-T when I wrote this on, the, on my drive. And sure enough, I went back to the little description that I sent to my production team, and there it said, sweat eats and meats. Oh, my gosh. I said, you still, you're still <laughs> doing this after all this time. All right. There's a 10-minute intro, and you thought this was going to be a short one. Anyways, I hope you enjoyed the story of my life. All right, uh, we're going to pick up in verse 6 of Exodus 16. Now, what's interesting, last episode, really, we dealt with we dealt with God's part of this. God's part in providing for his people was just to rain down abundance, rain down bread, just all the time. And then it says, so Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, in the evening you will know that it is the Lord who brought you up out of Egypt. In the morning you will see the glory of the Lord because he has heard your grumbling against him. We, who are we that you should grumble against us? Moses said, you will know 
that it was the Lord when he gives you the meat to eat in the evening and the bread that you want in the morning because he heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? You are not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses told Aaron, say to the entire um, Israelite community, come before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. While Aaron was speaking, the whole assembly of Israel to the community, they looked toward the desert, and there to the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I've heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. In the evening the quail came and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew on the, on the, around the camp. Sorry, and the dew was gone. There were flakes like frost on the ground, and it appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, What is it? For they didn't know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded for everyone to gather as much as they need. Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. And the Israelites did what they were told. And some gathered much and some gathered little. little. And when they measured it by the omer, the one who gathered much did not have too much. And the one who gathered little did not have too little. Everyone who had gathered had just as much as they needed. And then Moses said to them, no one is to keep any until morning. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses for they kept part of it until morning. And when it was when it was morning, it was full of maggots and began to smell. And Moses was angry with them. And each morning, everyone gathered as much as they needed. And when the sun grew and hot, and it melted away. And on the sixth day, they gathered twice as much as two omers for each person. And the leaders of the community came and reported to Moses. And he said to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow will be the Sabbath and the holy Sabbath day unto the Lord. So bake what you want. Bake and boil what you want to boil so save whatever is left and keep it until morning. And so they did save it until morning, as Moses commanded, and it did not stink or get maggots in it. Eat it today, said Moses, for today is the Sabbath. And the Lord says, you will not find any of it on the ground today. Six days you are to gather, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there, will be, there won't be any. Nonetheless, the people went out on the seventh day to gather, but it wasn't there. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my instructions? Bear in mind that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. This is why on the sixth day he gives you bread for two days. Everyone is to stay where they are on the seventh day. No one is to go out. So the people rested on the seventh day, and the people of Israel called the bread manna, for it was white like colander seeds. And tasted like wafers made of honey. And Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Take an omer of manna and keep it with you for generations to come. And they, they can see the bread that I gave you in the wilderness when I brought you up out of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, take a jar, put an omer, omer of manna in it, and place it before the Lord and keep it for generations to come. And then the Lord commanded Moses, Aaron, to put the manna in the tables of the covenant of the law that it may be preserved. And the Israelites ate manna 40 years until, the, until they came to the land that was settled. And they ate manna until they reached the border of Canaan. Whoa. Now, clearly this was written after the fact, right? After they were in Canaan. Because we're covering details here about the Omar of manna being in with the tablets of the law. And the law hasn't been written yet. And we're talking about the fact that he gave them this manna all the way till they came to the border of Canaan, and they're not there yet. So Moses is looking back at all of this. This is just one of those literary things. And please, you know, some, sometimes we get so intensive about what God says in his word. I put air quotes around that just in case you weren't looking at your television set. That that someone brings up these verses and it's like, oh, well, uh, well, because uh, we're like, no, no, you know, God's God told them to put it in the in the 
you know, in the ark with the with the tablets. Well, here we're, there's no mention of the ark. It's just, I don't know, verse 34, Aaron put the manna with the tablets in the covenant law so it might be preserved. Like we don't, it's it's okay. It's okay that Moses and Aaron are, are in essence recounting the story and writing it down for generations to come. And this is one of the things that I want to kind of emphasize is that Moses and Aaron take, take what God said and they take their experience of interacting with, with what God said and what he, he brought to them, right? What did he bring to them? He, he always brought an option to the people to choose life and freedom and love and hope, and that includes the leadership. God said to bring it to the people. Tell the people that I will send quail at night and I will send bread in the morning. He didn't put any conditions around it. Moses and Aaron did. They took the simple, loving solutions that God provided and, he, and they added a few things. And listen, leaders do this all the time. I've been with many leaders who who have, you know, brought what in Christianese we would call, you know, they brought a revelation from from God's word. They have they have inducted amazing applications from the word of God. They have they have um, seen things and patterns or principles of the kingdom in the word and they've brought it to the people and then they add stuff to it. It's not evil. It's not sinful. It's who it's it's they're doing what they're what they believe they're called to do, which is lead the people, help the people understand how to interact with the kingdom. But unfortunately, most of the time what that comes across as help the people understand how to behave in order to keep God happy and please him so that he doesn't kill you. That's that's what happens, and I believe that's what happened here. Moses is writing the history, and he says, I need the generations bef- that come bef- after us. I need for generations. I want them to know that they need to behave themselves. They need to do what God says in order to keep him happy so that he will continue to provide for them. Because right now, they're just they're out of control. So as leaders, what they're trying to do is help people learn the things they they believe the people need to learn. They take an opportunity to bring a revelation from God, to bring a word from God, and they take that opportunity to add to it some things that they believe the people need to learn. So one of the things that they put out there is, basically, you need to know that God is in control. They're trying to teach the people that God rules everything, good and bad. They let them know over and over again. I read the whole thing to you, right? Over and over again. You will know that when you complain, you complain against God, not against us. You think you're bringing your complaints to Moses. You think you're bringing your complaints to Aaron, but you're not because you're actually taking them to God. Now, you know, that's not a bad lesson because many times we think if I complain to a person, then God doesn't hear it. Or if I attack the person, 
I'm not attacking the image of God in that person. I'm just, you know, I'm just trying to help them out. They need to learn. They need to learn. They, they need to understand what it's like to mature like me, to become a good Christian like I am, to become somebody who loves God as much as I do. And so I need to help them understand. And, and, and the best way for me to do that is to point out all of their flaws because that's what God does. He points out all your flaws. That's called the conviction of the Holy Spirit. No, no, that's called you being rude. The conviction of the Holy Spirit is always an invitation for deeper relationship. Is that what you're is that what you're inviting the person to? Are you inviting the person to have a deeper relationship with you so that you can call out of them their true identity and purpose? That's what the conviction of the Holy Spirit does. That yeah, absolutely. I agree with you that the light of God's love will expose the things that need to be changed, but probably not in the order that you would like them to. Most of the time when I thought to myself, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help this person out, right? I'm their pastor. And I partnered with Holy Spirit and we got in there and I thought, well, first thing we're going to do is work on this. And all of a sudden I realized the, Lord, the Lord's like, no, we're working on this over here. And over and over, over again, the Lord showed me that the things he was choosing to work on actually fixed the things that I thought needed to be fixed. But he was dealing with things that were of the heart. He was dealing with things that were of the identity, the purpose, the direction, the destiny of the person's actual calling in life. And I was the one that was so distracted by circumstances and behavior that I wanted to change the behavior. That's exactly what I think is going on here with Moses and Aaron. They looked at the behavior of the people, the complaining of the people, and they were like, we need to stop this now. Then he says, listen, uh, we're not responsible. God is. Right? They're saying, listen, you're complaining against God. It's not our fault. Everything that goes on is God's fault. Everything. So when you, when, when you think you're up against us, you're wrong. You're up against God. And when you go up against God, you're going to end up just like the Egyptians, dead. You're going to end up dead. God's going to kill you. Is that what you want? Then behave. Do what you're told. Now, the people often think that what leaders add to the revelation of God is God speaking. And, and honestly, a lot of leaders um, encourage that belief. They encourage that thinking amongst their people. They want people to to not really know the difference between the revelation they got from God and the added little details of application that they would like the people to know so that, you know, they also think it's God. It happens all the time, all the time. And honestly, a lot of preachers know that they're doing it, and they're happy to do it. They're like, absolutely, I add, absolutely. I am the man of God. I am the, the expositor. I am the inductor of the, of the scripture. I am the revelator. I am the orator. I am the one that inspires or, no, that's not a word. Anyways, inspirer. I am the inspirer or. They, they, they don't hide it. Sometimes, sometimes they really want you to, they milk it. They want people to think that what they add to the, the revelation of God is the same as God because 
because that gives them that gravitas that that pumps them up. But that's their issue, not yours. And, and God, honestly, why does God allow it? Because God gives this freedom. Listen, he doesn't want puppets. I used to believe, you know, that every word of God was breathed. Every word in the Bible was breathed out by God, that literally they were like mindless, robotic writers of Scripture. And they would go into these like trance, transcendental states and they would put a pen in their hand and they would start to write. And they would write and write and write until the whole Bible came out. I, I, I do believe that the Bible is in, the inspired word of God. But there's no way you can get the people out of the way unless you create puppets, mindless puppets, emotionless puppets, robotic activity. And there's nothing in the character of God that says that's what he wants from his people. And leaders are people. And leaders can really mess with your perception of God. Especially if they get too personal or arrogant about what God shares with them. I mean, there's some preachers, ministry leaders, even mothers and fathers in a, in a, in a home that will, that will quote, you know, lord it over everyone that's under them or in their household saying, God told me to do this. They want everyone to be like, well, we can't argue with that. God said, God said, God said, I can't, nope, God said. Well, what they're doing is stupid. Well, God said, God said. And there's people who live their lives like this. It, it blows my mind. I know people that, you know, that, that literally have just packed up their homes in a week's time and, you know, and left because, well, God said we need to move to, I don't know, Alabama. Like all of a sudden they're just gone. Where'd you, where, why'd you go? God said, woke up in the morning, had a quiet time. God said, there was no like relational confirmation. There was no conversation. There was just God said. And that idea that God operates outside of relationship, that God operates only with those who will obey him absolutely like a, like a robot, that goes all the way back to the, to the times like this. It goes all the way back to the religion of, uh, the birth of religion in uh, Genesis chapter 3. It, it's just, it's still here. And it's in Moses and it's in Aaron and it's okay. God is not, you know, panicked. He knows his people. He knows his leaders. He understands and he loves them and he's going to work with them. And God values your freedom so much and he values your choice of how to represent him that he isn't going to stop you from, from crossing the line into something that doesn't represent him. And I think we see that all throughout the Old, uh, Old Testament and the New Testament. I think you see it, you know, dramatically sometimes in the New Testament where Jesus reminds his disciples, listen, the power of life and death is in your tongue. You can draw forth curses of death on anyone, including yourself, on any relationship, including your, your you know, your best friends, your family. It, you need to be careful what you say. 
Because if God doesn't allow that kind of freedom, then he's not a freedom-loving God. And I would say he's not a loving God. Because love loves freedom. Control is not something that freedom loves to have. No, that control is not something love loves to have. Love wants to inspire, to, um, to draw people into its, its power and its, and its uh, vision. Control wants to make sure people stay on the right track, and if they don't, they, they'll be punished. It's a, it comes from a slave, a slave diaphra, diagra, diaphragm. No, di, it comes from a slave paradigm. Thank you. Wow, that was tough. Thank you, Bob. Appreciate that. All right, verse 9. Then Moses said to Aaron, say to the entire Israelite community, come before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. Right? He wants to make sure they know God heard their complaining. After all, he has done for you. God heard you complaining. Verse 10, while Aaron was speaking, the whole Israelite community, they looked toward the desert, and there the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. There it was probably... The, you know, the, the, the cloud was glowing white. And in verses 11 and 12, Moses delivered the word. You're going to get meat at night, sweet bread in the morning. God, I, I, I love that it was sweet bread. I really do, because that somehow I just think that means that God's okay with us having donuts and cinnamon rolls and munchkins and uh, and donuts, and coffee cake, and um, donuts, and uh, cinnamon rolls, and oh, bread pudding, oh, and French toast, and maybe pancakes, and oh, there's so many sweet breads, and there's actually sweet breads, right? In Guatemala, they have a really good sweet bread, and in Mexico, and in Sweden, and in, oh, you know what? I just... I think it's all inspired from manna. That's what <laughs> I do. Sad is I know it's sad, but it's it I don't I think I don't think it's a stretch to think that those things came from inspiring opportunities way back in the day under Moses. Sweet bread in the morning, quail at night. This is a good deal. God's a big fan of meat and sweets. Oh, man, I love heaven. It's going to be so much fun. It's going to be so much fun. It really is. Oh, I can't wait to have all those sweets and no calorie ramifications. Uh, verse 18. Verse 18 kind of talks about the Omer, all right? The one who gathered much did not have too much. The one who gathered little did not have too little. Everyone gathered just as much as they, as they needed. So, um, verse 19, no one is to keep it until morning. So this sounds like really, you know, intense rules. Well, I believe, I believe that these guidelines were given. I don't think they were rules. I think there were guidelines to given a, by God to start to, or not start, to add to his desire to break the slave mentality. Slaves are natural, um, Hoarders, slaves, servants, orphans, they just 
like to hold on to things. They want to make sure that they save enough for another day. Very seldom have I met anyone who was adopted into a new family where the where the parents didn't talk about the fact that they had to, you know, they would find leftovers from dinner hidden in their child, you know, in their adopted child's room because they just never knew, especially, you know, when I, when people I know that have adopted uh, children from like overseas, uh, you know, third world countries where there wasn't enough food, where they were in some form of, you know, uh, human oppression, where they were forced to do things in order to survive. And here they, you know, they come to America, they sit down at these meals, and there's plenty of food. And in their mind, they just, they know, they look at it and think there's plenty of food. But, but they're conditioned to say, I better, I better take some, I better hide some. And, and you know, it just takes years to work this out of a slave this idea that there won't be enough for tomorrow or if i save a little bit extra i'll have i'll have something just in case something goes wrong just in case the master gets mad and decides not to feed me tomorrow just in case the master gets mad and i get beaten so badly that i can't work for a couple days i'll have some food stored away and I believe that these guidelines were laid out because God's like, listen, I want to, I want to invite you to, uh, on this journey of learning to trust that the God who loves you will provide for you every single day exactly what you need abundantly. It wasn't like you're allowed 1,200 calories per day and that's all you're going to get. He's like, pack it all in. You know, get the whole omer, get it all full. I mean, this is miraculous bread. I'm sure it's kind of like, it's probably like Lammas bread from uh, Lord of the Rings. Like you can have a few bites and feel full all day. Unless, of course, you're a hobbit in which you'll eat three or four or five at a time. <laughs> at first breakfast and second breakfast and 11 Z's or whatever. <laughs> those, those guys are awesome. Oh, what a great story. All right. So the, the rule, I think, was really to help them free themselves from the lies that they grew up with. Uh, God is always enough. God is always going to come with more. And I think that God is trying to show that there needs to be new patterns of not hoarding. There needs to be new patterns of families going out together to gather not sending out, listen, you're, you can allow one representative to go gather everything the family needs. No, everybody, everybody, go out. Take your jar, your bucket, whatever it is that you put your Omar in and, and put it in there. You're going to have plenty. And then he goes through this whole idea of resting on the seventh day. And, and, and again, it goes back to the beginning. It goes back, as we said, to season one or season two in the book of Genesis. That's what the Lord is calling us all back to before sin. He's calling us back to our, our, our original identity. He's like, I want you to rest in what you do. I want you to learn that there's a rhythm of provision and love from God. And on the seventh day, I really want you to rest because I, I want you to gather twice as much as you need and I want you to cook it all off however you want to, bake it, steak it, 
boil it, stick it in a stew, whatever. Another Lord of the Rings reference. And then I want you to rest on the last on the seventh day. I just want you to enjoy what? Family. Now, these are people that are used to surviving. They didn't get a day off in Egypt. For years, they didn't get a day off in Egypt. Everybody had to work every day. And you would eat on the run. There wasn't a whole lot of family time gathering. You'd come home. You were exhausted. It was after dark. Or sometimes you had to go to work after dark. And, and there, was, there, was just, there was this rhythm that I think God was trying to bring back to his people. He's like, I need you to get into the rhythm of heaven. The rhythm of heaven is I provide for you freely. I provide for you abundantly. I, it's not given on a condition of don't complain. Although Moses and Aaron tried to uh, tie it into that, right? They tried to... They tried to make people think if you don't if you if you don't stop complaining God's going to you know God might not provide this for you so don't complain cuz you're complaining to God and you saw what he did to the Egyptians like there's this whole pattern of thought that God's trying to break out of their system and he's trying to do it slowly the whole paradigm of slavery and slave life it's very difficult to break from so many people would rather move from one master to another. It happens, it happens, especially, you know, uh, not only in jobs, but also in, in churches. You get mad at a preacher, you get mad at, at a teacher or an elder, and you say, that's fine, I'm going to go somewhere else. And you trade in one, one master for another. God's like, no, I want you to be free. I want you to be family. I want you to gather. I want you to have joy and connection, and I want you to have donuts. <laughs> okay, don't. Manna. I want you to have manna and meat. I want you to enjoy each other. I honestly, I pray that that's really true in your life. I pray that you are you are not hoarding things and, and in desperation thinking, what if God doesn't show up for me? I'm not saying don't have a savings account. I'm not saying don't have a retirement investment. I'm not saying don't have dehydrated food in case of an emergency. That's not what I'm saying. Because there are things that the Lord provides for you in advance, and, and you need to be alert to those. But if you hang on to them with a tight grip, then it'll squeeze out of your life, and eventually you'll lose it. But if God provides for you and you have the abundance in order to, to put some aside, I say go for it. There's nothing wrong with that. But be careful what you do with it and how hard you hang on to it. You know, there's, there are some people who struggle with this. And it's okay to struggle, but don't stay there. There are some people who's, who, you know, they're literally television shows made up with these people, right? Who can't not keep buying things that they don't need to the point where they, you know, their house collapses or they're crushed under all of all of the hoarding that occurs. Why where does that come from? It needs it can be worked out. It can be. And I'm I doubt any of my listeners are are at that point, but that doesn't mean that internally you might not have some work to do. And and listen, God wants to work with you gently, just like he did with his people. He's like, we're going to go about this real slow because he's a good shepherd and a wonderful counselor. And he's like, every morning, I want you to walk out and get what I've provided. And if you try to keep it overnight, it's going to be rotten because that's the way I've created it. I've created it that way so that you and I can have the opportunity to meet every morning. You and I can have the opportunity to meet every night.
If you if you try to keep your quail overnight, it'll be filled with maggots in the morning. Listen, it's not because I hate you. It's because I love you, and I want to bring you freedom from the slave mentality that you've been living under. We go back to that phrasing from many episodes ago that he wanted to bring them out of Egypt. But, man, it takes a long time to get Egypt out of you. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thanks for hanging out with the Epic Narrative. Have yourself a wonderful day. Don't go anywhere. We've got Bob Thoughts. Well, did you guys like that little story? <laughs> Was that your favorite part of the of the show when I told you about how I called my wife Sweatheart? <laughs> yeah, it still makes me laugh. Still makes me laugh. I have a little something-something going on in my throat right now. So, I know this is... Hope it doesn't irritate you to hear that. I know. Have you ever have you ever been around somebody where you just want them to clear their throat the whole time they're up there talking? You're just like, can you, can you just like get it over with? Can you just like do the whole gag thing and clear that up? <clears throat> Anyways, if I annoy you, I'm sorry. Just stop the thoughts now. <laughs> you can you can push off. Um. Yeah, that was a that was a great time. I, I I still I still absolutely love my wife for sure, uh, but there was um, there's a there I I actually I know I've promised this before but I I am gonna sit down uh, I do have that new uh, new computer I got to put up the system but maybe as a test run I'll do a, a bonus on the whole story of us getting together but there's a there's a uh, there's lots of little antidotes. I, I honestly just, I'm just so sappy. And uh, it's for me, it's just fun. It's, I used to, you know, it's, it, uh, when you get, when you get comfortable with who you are, then you can actually have a lot more fun telling stories about yourself. Uh, you know, there's, there's lots of times where people who aren't comfortable with who they are, or at least not yet, Right, the family. Usually, it's family that knows how to get your, you know, push your buttons. They'll start telling stories about you that they know kind of irritate you because they think it's funny. <laughs> why do, why do, why do, why do families think that? But we did too. We did it. We do it to all of our kids, and and uh, and they do it to each other. Man, we get together and they still bring up certain stories, you know, and and over the years as a parent to watch them. Uh, turn from stories of irritation to just stories of pure joy because the people involved in those stories are now, you know, they're just, they're comfortable with who they are. So they they hear the stories of some foolishness that they were involved in. And instead of trying to defend themselves or getting angry and leaving the room or or just, you know, not wanting to be together with the family because you guys never let this go, they uh, they laugh and they add to it. And, or they, you know, sometimes they just sit back and nod like, yeah, that's what I did. Yeah, that's, that's, that's how it went down. And it's, uh, it's just fun. Families, you know, I know, let's see, this, this recording will come out between Christmas and, or between Thanksgiving and Christmas. So I'm sure families are all around. And I truly hope you enjoy being with your family. We're currently in New Jersey near family and we've had some really sweet times you know when you're when you're near family after not being around for a while um 
it takes a little it takes a little bit to kind of get used to the rhythm that they're in because you when you're on vacation you know when you just come down for a long weekend or something it's different everybody operates differently but to be around them in their normal rhythm of life is just uh it's been good it's been good so i hope it's been good for you guys to be around family uh at this time uh, anytime actually but at the time that you hear this recording and I hope you're celebrating. Uh, if you wanna, uh, yeah, I put, uh, anyways, if you wanna know more about um, Christmas, Constantine, Chris, uh, the, you know, December 25th, all that stuff, I put up uh, about a 10, 10 or 15 minute uh, thing on my wall, not just on my Bob Thoughts page, but on my wall on Facebook. I think it covers everything you need to know uh, it's just fun. Again, I kind of use the same research technique as I do for the podcast. So we try to weave in all kinds of things that have contributed to December 25th being a day that is celebrated as Christ's birth. And uh, let's see, is there anything else you need to know? What are my thoughts? What are my other thoughts? Oh, just the whole <coughs> idea of uh, leaders adding to the revelation that they get. And I, I uh, you know, I can think of, I, I've been around, like long-term been around certain leaders where that happens all the time. They get, uh, they hear from God, not the, and at some level they start to think they hear from God is, what they hear is more special than what other people because they have a leadership role. They've been granted authority in the realm of men to be to be listened to. And then they ride that and they say, okay, I heard this from God and I think what God's trying to say is the people need to do this rather than just leaving it what they heard from God. And I do think Moses and Aaron do that. I think they do that throughout um, the Pentateuch, which we'll go into again next season. Um, Numbers, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. We're going to do them all. But again, very heavily, I think, uh, uh, Moses and Aaron decided what the penalties would be for breaking the law. Now, we'll get into the law here in a couple weeks. And it is, it is layered with opportunities for conversation about the way it's been... Mm, translated and applied by many a minister and the way that it was intended from a heart of God who looks like Jesus. So I hope you stay tuned and I hope you enjoy the epic narrative every week. And I look forward to talking to you again. everyone. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, you can subscribe to this podcast on any platform you use. You can also reach out to Bob for questions or booking at thebobswitzer.com or email him at thebobswitzer at gmail.com. See you next week, guys.